0: Welcome to the Thriving in the Word podcast. We are so happy to have you listening today and it's a great conversation that we have as we dig deep in the Word. If you're enjoying the Thriving in the Word podcast, we would invite you to like it on whichever podcast service you use, leave a comment, a rating, review, even share it on social media. Let your friends and family know about what we're doing here. We hope that you enjoy this edition of Thriving in the Word. So we're in the book of Amos. We started last week, and uh, there's only nine chapters here. And we didn't get very far, but still had some uh, good discussion. Uh, we've been reading it several times more uh, this week. Today we have uh, with us Jeff and Ben, Lenny, Dave, and Johnny. And we are going to jump in to our study of Amos. So anything stand out to you
1: guys as you've been reading this book? Uh, a few times this past week. Yes, I made some notes. Um, so there were a few things that, in this particular Bible study, when we get into the Word, I remember um, in previous studies, you know, a uh, brother, Dave Lamana here, he would go into the intros that often were overlooked, right? Yeah. And they're very eloquent from from Paul, right? From Paul, <clears> yeah. absolutely. So I wanted to have that same kind of um, attention to detail with this intro. In the beginning, it mentions the earthquake, right? Mm-hmm. It says two years before the earthquake and as I was reading through Amos I was going across all the different I don't want to call them like you know scourges or whatever but God mm-hmm. is trying to get his people to come back to him right to repent back to him. He says yet you did not return to me and in regards to, to this these scourges it was a food shortage a water shortage mm-hmm. mildew and disease right mm-hmm. on the plants and the animals caterpillars that ate up all all the crops um, plagues to the people and raids against them in fires. But it mentions in particular um, the earthquake in the beginning. So I I see that earthquake as part of this, like God's will. God is sovereign over everything, Mm. right? A sparrow can't fall from the sky, basically, without him knowing, right? So the earthquake was a massive earthquake. It was so big that it was still talked about by the prophet Zechariah 250 years later. He talks about the earthquake in the time of um, Amos, right? Also, I wanted to include in those scourges the actual exile of the Israelites, Mm. right? Because they're not really acting like the Israelites, are they? Right? They're almost reverting back to Jacob. So if you read in Amos 7.5, it says, he says, Jacob is so small, like how can he stand? Amos calls them Jacob. If you remember, Jacob wrestled with God, right? Isn't that what Israel means? Wrestles with God. And what happened to Jacob? He limped away, defeated, right? You, mm. We can't overcome God at all. But what we can do is return back to him, right? Mm. So that's just the things that I wanted to make notes of there. You know, it's like the earthquake was part of it. And in the Mm. intro, we glazed over it. Mm. And it all ties back to the Israelites themselves reverting back to Jacob, Mm. their old self. Which Mm. in my own personal life, I've had that struggle of the death of my own self, Mm. my selfishness, Mm. to live and serve other people, that selfless life, that life of Christ to take up my cross. You know, so when Mm. I went back to look into the intro and examine it more carefully these are the things that stood out to me in the context of the scroll of amos yeah you know
2: going going along with the intro and i, I didn't get into this intro and i'm glad you did johnny uh unlike paul's which are as you said eloquent intros and there's so much in them but let's stay on the intro here because it gives me something to think about and hopefully each of you and anybody that's listening to us the first line again this message was given to Amos, a shepherd, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. So just that there, a shepherd, what does that say to you? I'll tell you what it says to me. We may have talked about this already. Here God goes again selecting, and I think I did say this last week, but it's right there, a shepherd. It's because you brought the introduction up, Johnny. A shepherd an unlikely figure, an uneducated man, an ordinary person he uses, just like he does throughout the Bible. There it is, right there in the first chapter, first verse. He takes a shepherd, and here's another thing about that. As I kept reading through this, and I'm thinking, okay, Amos is, I mean, he is preaching doom and gloom for the most part in this book, and he gets confronted by... Let's say that priest uh, Amaziah, I think was the name, right? Yep. But throughout this whole thing, keep in mind that he's a shepherd and he's going up against you know, this prosperous country, northern Israel, and the northern part of the country called Israel. And he doesn't flinch. He doesn't shrink away from God's call. He obeys God and he becomes God's agent of change. Mm. Think about it. Would we do that? Put that into context today. Would we do that? And I know we've asked that question here before. Would we do that? So just that first line, if you want to go to the introduction, shepherd, and all of a sudden, he becomes, he, this shepherd, this unenlightened swain, I call it, from Greek mythology, he is a powerful voice for God's word. If you now take that first verse and then go through this whole thing, because we've all read nine chapters of this, and we've read it over and over. And then think about what he says. Is he not a powerful voice for God's word? Is God not using somebody off the street as you were, like just pulling someone off the street? Like he could pull one of us. Yeah. Would we respond? Would we flinch or shrink away? Or would we stand up to it and do what God commands as Amos did? Mm, There's the first line. There's the introduction.
1: Yeah, I made notes too that um, Amos was a contemporary with Hosea, right? Yes. In which we did a study, um, two studies ago I believe it was, right? <clears throat> talking about how Hosea, uh, you know, had to marry Gomer the prostitute, or, or and he had to, you know, take her back every time, and that demonstrated God's great love for us and His patience with us, and how He's committed to marriage, and how often we're not, you know. And it's funny when you contrast that to the his contemporary Amos. Mm. It's like Amos spoke to the Israelites very sternly. It's like he spoke into their minds, like he told it like how it, how it was. Mm. So I think if you contrast Amos to Hosea, it's like Amos is. And giving them uh, the Dutch uncle. He's talking sternly to him. He's talking to their minds. And you look at Hosea, and it's like he's speaking in gentleness and love as God speaks to our hearts. Mm. So God, God will speak to our mind, but he'll also always speak to our hearts. And if you're paying attention to the Bible in its entire context, yeah, you see those two contemporaries. you got to realize, you know, my Bibles aren't set up in, in chronological order. Right. Right? But in this mm. case these guys are side-by-side side in this time period, which yeah. is the 8th century, which there's a lot of stuff going on in the 8th century, you know?
2: Yeah, you'd have, you have to re- remember, though, uh, just just as a point of fact here, that Amos is much older than Hosea. They're contemporaries, right. but, but Hosea comes in on the tail end of, uh, of, of Amos' prophecies and his his preaching, so while they're contemporaries... Ho, uh, Amos is the older one. And he was there first, yeah. and then Hosea comes in. Isaiah comes in toward the end of Amos's reign, if you will.
1: But I just, I just find it fascinating that God uh, talks to us on so many different levels. Yeah. He'll speak to our minds. Yeah. Mm. He'll, he'll, he'll give us the um, the rebuking that we need. He'll give us the, I don't want to say the punishment we need, but the corrections in our life that we need. The discipline, right? Sure. But he'll also appeal to our hearts, right? Because not everybody's going to respond the same way to discipline. Mm. You know, some people you need to get through to them more gently, for sure. You know, at least and the evangelism work that I've done, it definitely makes a difference how you talk to people. You got to sort of feel it out. Yeah. Um, the other thing too that I want to mention is the 8th century. In the 8th century, there's a lot going on in the world. It was the birth of the Olympics, right? That's like it comes forth in the, right? So that's, that's sort of like religion for the seculars, like politics and sports, right, mm. you know? There is Rome and Carthage, the battle between um, the Greeks and the Romans, so to speak, happening, right? The birth of essentially the popularity of democracy. These things that we ha- have and hold to this very day Roads being made by the Romans, which obviously eventually would lead to the spread of the gospel. Do you know what I mean? Like, God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good, right? Mm-hmm. So just, it's a really interesting time happening in the world where you see the Israelites, uh, I should say the northern Israelites, right, getting corrupted by those types of cultures, where it says that they've gone to the north and they're away from Jerusalem, the holy city, which is in the south, right? Which is where um, Judah and what's the other tribe that's down there? L- the Levites? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the Levites and Judah are in the south. All other, what, 10 of them are in the north. Right. And they're sort of getting corrupted by the world, right? So they build their own temple. I think they actually built two temples. There was um, the, the um, Samaritans built a temple, and then I can't remember who the other people were that built another temple, but that was where they were allowing the golden calves to be put in. Mm. That was where they were taking in these other um, gods and idolatry. And if you <laughs> see in the Bible, whenever God's chosen people, no matter if it's us as Christians or it's, you know, Hebrews or Israelites, or whatever, whenever you start to compromise... What ends up happening? We fall away from grace. We fall away from God's protective hand. He says, you know what? You want to go do it your own way? So be it. If it mm. won't be my will, you can have your will. Mm. You know, And we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. Mm. You know? Something interesting that
3: I noticed... Uh, what did your, your 7 5 say? Because you used in the NA, NIV translation,
1: right? I'm using the NASB right now. So, okay. Yeah, which is uh, the New American Standard Bible. Because
3: mine's, okay, I'm using NLT and it says, Then I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. Mm-hmm. Does you say Jacob?
1: Mine says Jacob there. And the, and the NASB
3: J- is. J- Jacob is a <laughs> synonymous. It's to the, yeah, to yeah Israel. It's, it's synonymous. Okay.
1: It's, it, that's a Hebrew. Yeah. In Hebrew yeah. uh, So it's the same there. thing. But in this case, you see yeah. how I was able to come up with that yeah. conclusion. Absolutely. You know? Exactly. It's just uh, like they're reverting I'm, back to their old ways. Yeah. I, make
2: a, I make a further comment before I forget on what you just said about compromise and people compromising. And I, I don't know if any of you could remember. I, I Just one of the books, uh, Letters of Paul, we were reading uh, that he wrote to one of the churches and they were compromising. They wanted to do... Christianity but they also still wanted to do um, mm, right. the, the other do you remember that the one of the, the, yeah yeah they, mm-hmm. yeah they yeah they wanted a compromise they wanted to have the, the best of both worlds if you will and Paul said no you can't do that it's it's this and only this or you're not you're not part of us you're not a Chris, Christians and, and, and I remember that. When you say compromise... We want don't Christmas we, and Hanukkah. Y- there you go. Don't we all try to compromise? They did it back then, and, and even today, we try to compromise. We say, hey, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, but, you know, I want to do mm. this, too. You know, I'm following you in
1: Yeah, is it fertility gods? Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is it gods of... I mean, this is the reign of Jeroboam, which we all talked about last time, that yeah. it's this time of... Of prosperity yeah. and, and the rich are getting richer and, mm. and, you know, there's people acquiring, you know, all these extra properties and everything seems to be going so well, right? Mm. And that's the reason why I even brought up the 8th century is because that that time in the world, you can see that's that outside influence of the Roman cultures, of the Greek cultures and so on and so forth, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of 7, you know, another angle that I noticed in there that I thought was pretty interesting was he starts with this vision of locusts and says, you know, the sovereign Lord showed me a vision. I was saw him preparing to send a vast summer locusts over the land. This was after the king's share had been harvested in the fields. And as the main crop was coming up in my vision, the locusts ate every green plant in sight. Then I said, what you guys are referring to, Oh, sovereign Lord, please forgive us, or we will not survive for Israel is so small. in verse three, so, so the Lord relented from this plan. I will not do it, he said. And then he gets another vision, right? Verse 4. Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish the people with a great fire. The fire burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land. Then I said, Oh sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive for Israel so small. Then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, says the sovereign Lord. The thing that just struck me there is how God is sovereign, but we can still stand in the gap, that he still listens to us. And and we've seen this over the course of stories in the Bible when God was going to wipe out Israel in the wilderness and Moses says, no, 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 don't don't do that, and God changed his mind. Or when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham talked them down to, what was it, ten righteous people, um, he, If he kept going, maybe God would have even relented if he kept going with that. But he assumed, oh, there's probably at least 10 there. and And here again, we see, had it not been for Amos standing in the gap for the people, the Israelites, they would have gotten hit with the locust and with the fire. But since Amos stood there, made supplication on behalf of the nation, God spared them from those things. And I just think that's interesting how we can have a relationship with God that actually influences the world that we're in. You know, and God says, oh, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go in and, and he was like, no, please, please don't do that. And God's like, you know what? Not because of them, but because of my relationship with you, I'm not going to do that. And mm-hmm. I just find that that, you know, inspiring. I mean, could we ever have a relationship with God to that level where, mm-hmm. He's pronouncing judgment on somebody, and then he changes his mind based on our petition. Yeah, I noticed that too. Our obedience. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Because we have to be able to listen and obey what God is commanding us to do, and we can miss the mark. So how many times have we had an opportunity to help somebody by just allowing God to use us? Interesting.
1: Yeah, I noticed that too with with Noah. It's like he found favor in one man. Right, he, he, he appeals to one person, always the person you least expect. You know, Jesus is the chosen one, right? You know what right. I'm saying? There's one people out of all the nations of the earth. Like God always, it can get boiled down to just one person. And yeah. then I think to myself, well, what am I? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not a great nation. I'm not any of these things. You know, I'm not, I'm not on a team. It's just me, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just me and it's just God, right? So that's... He can work with that. Mm. He, he can work with anything. He can work with you, you know? Yeah.
4: You know, a lot of people have referred uh, Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, like, use that verse for, like, relationships. Like, yeah. are you equal, equally yoked with the partner that you're with right now? Mm-hmm. But I kind of, like, see it differently as in, like, you are walking with God, you know, for your own um, agenda, right? Mm-hmm. And... Like, the, like Israel, like they thought that they were worshiping God, they thought that they were doing all these things and following all the commands and, you know, just living righteous lives, but really they were walking in a completely di- different direction. I'm wondering, even myself currently, am I walking so closely to God, but, like, not walking in the direction that He wants me to go? Mm. And then just, I mean, obviously all the metaphors, you know, leading on after that. I mean, does a lion ever roar in a it without first finding a victim? Mm. You know what I mean? So, and it just keeps going on, and you know, if, if you go back a little bit in chapter three, verse two, it says from a, among all the families on the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. Mm. So I would hate to be walking closely to God, but living my own life for 40 years, thinking that I'm righteous in his eyes and all that stuff. But then I get to heaven. He's like, I never knew you. Yeah,
2: that that line, that's, that's an interesting line. I had that highlighted, Lenny. I must punish you for your sins because I've been intimate. I, I, Israel's sins are worse because they were the chosen people. That's, that's what, what I'm he, saying. Yeah, right. exactly. And that's what Amos is saying there. Oh, that's what God's telling Amos to say. Israel's sins were worse because they were the chosen people. It's like, okay, you, mm. you,
3: you did this to me? You went on to six... When the ram's horn blows a warning, shouldn't the people be alarmed? Does disaster not come to a city unless the Lord has planned it? Just make you think of like like Sodom and Gomorrah and just like through history, like these places that just get completely destroyed and you end up finding like the way the people were with a punishment. Well, it shows that God's in control. That too, you know? right. sovereignty again. Yeah, I mean, does, does disaster come to the city unless God has planned it? You know, go down well, the seven right here. It says, "Indeed, the sovereign Lord does not do anything unless it's revealed in His plans and uh, to His servants, the prophets."
1: Yeah, when I read that part, it made me think of that um, Billy Graham quote where he says, "If." Um, if God, um, you know, doesn't punish the United States, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's just like the the state that, that this nation is in, you know? Yeah. And I mean, how many years ago was that when he was doing all those big crusades, you know? Well, I think the one uh, one advantage that we have that Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have
0: was that uh, we have more than 10 righteous. <laughs> you, think <laughs> you think so? I don't know, I don't know man.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> you, got more, you got more hope
0: and faith than I do, brother. Yeah. <laughs> well there, there, there's six of us in this room right now, and hopefully we're trying to live a righteous life yeah. you know so yeah. i'm sure there's uh there's more than more than us out there you know there, mm. there there's a lot of people that are doing it and I, and I believe that that's that is what God looks for and I, I believe that's why God is merciful to us as a country and to other countries and other civilizations it's like when when there are people that fear God and when you know God is a god of grace and mercy as well Mm. but what what is his kindness meant for his kindness his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance and so I believe that that while we are here as followers of Jesus Christ as long as we're letting our light shine then then there's hope you know there's hope for people to turn back to God there's hope Mm. I mean it's like I look at the state that we live in and, and I believe that there's there's great hope For the people in our state that are far from God. Because I believe they're so open to the things of God. Even though we're in one of the most unchurched states in the country. um, I believe that we're filled with people that are seeking God. They maybe haven't found God yet. But they're seeking. And and I believe that's why God is uh, infinitely merciful. Infinitely gracious. And we see this here all throughout. It's like there's a lot of things that God's anger... Burns and, and sometimes he does bring about uh, discipline. corrective discipline, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, on behalf of that. But what's the purpose of it? It's never to wipe them out. And and again, it, mm-hmm. it you know, we chatted about this uh, a few weeks ago. Just the marvel of the fact that the Israelites still exist, right after thousands mm. of years. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself that they still exist and and that they still have their their beliefs, even though. They're not able to fulfill them to the same extent that they once were. I mean, you know, they're not doing animal sacrifices ever since what eighty, seventy, or whatever um, that we know of. Yeah, well, and and every year they say they, <laughs> they arrest people that are trying to sneak onto the Temple Mount with uh, with goats and stuff that they want to uh, go and sacrifice for Passover. But the thing of it is, is that God has somehow preserved them, and even in, as His anger. We see this thousands of years ago, yeah. how he still preserved them. And he would bring discipline, but only to bring restoration. Right. And, uh, and, and I
1: think on a smaller scale, he does that with us individually as well. He brings discipline to bring restoration. You, know, you just said that it's his kindness and his mercy you know, he, to lead us to repentance. But in Amos, I definitely see you know, there is mercy and kindness, but I also see that discipline you know, oh, yeah. where, he, where he's, he's allowing this stuff to happen because he is sovereign. But it's also to lead them to... Repentance, You know what I mean? To turn mm-hmm. back to him. Mm-hmm. And yet you have not returned to me. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Yeah, and
2: in, in, in not returning, I keep thinking of, of that line that I had read in that book there. We forget that it could be our last heartbeat at any moment. Mm. And, and Amos is talking to these people, but most I think most of what he's saying throughout all of this is it, it, whatever he said, he... He he was unpopular. He wasn't paid attention to for the most part. We, like they at that time, we have, at any time, we don't know when our last heartbeat is. Have we repented? Have we reformed? Have we restored ourselves? I'm looking at, uh, I I had to read this a a number of times again, Uh, chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, hate, my book says, I hate all your show and pretense the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. And then God goes on and talks about what he won't accept. I mean, God, in those verses, 21, which i read, but go down to 24, it it shows God's utter disdain for the hypocritical lives of his people. Mm. His people then, and make no mistake about it, his people now, we that live today, God has a disdain for hypocrisy. And he says it right there. I hate, I hate all your show and pretense The hypocrisy Mm. of your festivals and your assemblies. Mm. Think about that.
0: Well, it's because they were worshiping all these other gods, but they were still trying to fulfill all their Jewish festivals and rituals and all that. And it's like, it was that that mixture.
4: Check. Check in the box. Right.
2: What what are we doing? I mean, what are we doing? Are we totally devoted to God? Are are, are we there? Or are we hemming and hawing, like Paul said, like Amos is saying here, throughout history here, are we... Like, you know, just dipping our toe in the water, we just half and half. Mm. 75, 25, what are we? Yeah, yeah. That's just rhetorical, yeah. I'm not asking you to go on, go on a limb and say hey. The, the yeah.
4: common rituals are still being checked off in the box nowadays. I mean, there's people that, you know, go to church, they're Sunday Christians, right? And then throughout the week they live their life. Mm-hmm. And I, I was one of them, you know what I mean? I definitely, you know, um, outwardly, probably looked like I was a Christian, but inside, like, I was waiting to be hooked you know what I mean? I mean, Amos 4, verse 2. The sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come where you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You will be led out through the ruins of the wall, and you will be thrown from your fortress, says the Lord. And it keeps going on about, you know, go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols of Bethel, and I'll destroy everything and all your sacrifices. And for, But for me, like, I lived my life probably until I was 23. You know, I grew up in church, but for 23... Well, obviously, I didn't know what sin was, you know, from 10 and under. Or maybe I did, but didn't pay attention to it. But at least for a long time, I was a fish, and I would take the bait, and I wouldn't be hooked out of the water, right? Mm -hmm. You only die when you get hooked out of the water. And eventually, I, 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 I had the Jacob Limp, where... I sinned so badly to the point where God gave me a different type of walk so I can be reminded where I used to be. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like 90%, or if not, you know what, 99.9% of Christians, unfortunately, have to have a different limb in order to actually follow Christ the way he wants them to follow.
1: Yeah. I did want to um, touch um, base because we did bring up the different um, translations where they sit, where, you know, in Ben's, what were you reading? The, the NLT. The NLT, right, which is the New Living Translation. Yes. The differences in Bibles, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before um, for the podcast, but there is a difference in Bibles, right? They all generally say the same thing, and all scholars agree that, right, that it's, it's pretty uniform across the board, but there are subtle nuances like what we just saw with mm-hmm. Jacob to Israel, and there's a difference between transcription, translation, and transliteration. And that's sort of what deviates from the different types of Bibles, right? You have some that are word-for-word translations from the Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew, right? Or even Paleo-Hebrew in some cases, right? And then you have some that are like an idea for an idea, which are easier to comprehend, you know? Say, like, if you're saying the Our Father prayer versus, you know, the King James Version versus how you would say it in modern English. You know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, versus Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, right? You know what I mean? So we don't speak Shakespearean English in today's society, which makes sense. That's, you know... Five, I'm my five own, centuries ago, you know, right? You know?
3: If I'm on my own, I still do the, 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 uh, the Lord's Prayer using King James. Yeah, but that's because yeah. I grew up learning we, Yeah, I, mean, I think most people have, you know, yeah.
1: weddings, funerals, that, that type of thing, you know, yeah. or you know, church services or whatever. But the reason why I bring it up is because I don't think God does anything by accident. Yeah. I think God is very deliberate in everything that he does being omniscient, omnipotent, and so on, right? It's like everything is done deliberately. Just like we see in Amos that this is a, a fig tree dresser. Who is the fig tree? It's like Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Right? He's a shepherd. Who else is a shepherd? Yeshua. Jesus is a shepherd, right? So things are done deliberately. It's the person you least uh, expect, just like when we talked about um, Samson, right? You know, we always think of him as like this big, strong Arnold Schwarzenegger type, you know, muscle guy. Right. But Judah's like, I like to think of him as, he probably wasn't like that. And that's what made it so special. You know what yeah, I mean? Is that right. He probably was, you know, maybe a scrawnier guy or an average build guy, right? So everything done deliberately. So when I see the Bible in its context where all these things are reconciled to one another throughout these books that all point to Jesus being the Messiah, to Jesus being, you know, part of the triune God, the Holy Trinity. <clears throat> when I see all these things, I don't think it's a mistake that the NASB, which is a more, it's well known as a more word for word translation, right? Sure. Yeah. Uses Jacob in that context, that God is using that as another layer to understand how he speaks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not to discount that, it's, you know, obviously Israel is synonymous, but I just don't want to overlook that. Oh, yeah. People often ask me, oh, I say, you should read the Bible, check this out. And they're like, well, which one should I read? That's a pretty common question. Yeah. So if you're listening, you don't, you don't know which one to read, right? Or you know, in this Bible study, we use a multitude of Bibles, NASB, ESV, NIV, NLT, I mean, me yeah,
2: Let me say for anybody that's listening, do not get hung up on which Bible to read. Just get a Bible and read it. And then start to go into dissection of different Bibles if you want. But please, read a Bible. Just read a Bible. The, the
0: best Bible that you can read is the one that you're going to apply. And it's like, and, and applying it. And I mean, because there's these age-old controversies with the the KJV-only uh, people, which is ironically what what got me really inspired to read Scripture. Because so many people were... were just going on that bandwagon of uh, King James is the inspired word of God, and you can't teach natives in other countries God's word unless if you translated it into their language from the English King James version. Like, don't go back to the original text. You go to the King James, translate the King James into their language, or better yet, teach them English so that they can read the 1611 King James, which, you know, is, is you just ever heard the story?
3: Of, you ever heard the story about how that one was written? What's that, King James? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they actually had, like, the king in there, and, like, everybody's in the courtroom with him, and, like, with him, and nobody could look at him. <laughs> I, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, they either did, did I. I but, oh, yeah, I, they, they couldn't look this. at
1: him, but he's, he's the royal. You can't, mm. mm. can't look at the king. You mm. uh, can't look at the king. I on I, I respectfully disagree with both Judah and Dave on this, because there is the Watchtower publication, which is the Watchtower Bible, right? Which is the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, mm-hmm. which is has omitted parts of scripture from the King James and added its own. Right. right. So I would steer so me personally. I don't read the Watchtower Bible. Well, I, yeah. And I would also watch out for the passion translation of the Bible because there's also false doctrine in that. So if you which if you guys haven't read them, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But it, it also, you know, the, the Satan is clever. He, you know, he masquerades as an angel of light. So just because the word Bible is part of the, mm. the title does not mean it's the best Bible for you to open up and start reading because you could easily get drawn into, let's say, a cult or a dangerous sect of what's something that calls itself Christianity. You know, which this to me, this always goes back to beware false teachers, false prophets, and so on, right? Right. Because outwardly they look like us, but inwardly they're like ravenous or ferocious. Right. Yeah, and,
0: and and I mean to, to clarify, I mean, yeah, it's not a disagreement. I mean, I, I don't, I don't classify those as the Bible. You know, well, that's the problem. I, I'm saying so, if someone's listening and they don't you know, know. Yeah, when, picture when a when baby I'm, person. When I'm talking out. about the Bible, I'm yeah. talking about the the 66 books that we've kind of compiled together as the canon, and you know, reading through that, um, reading it applying it and studying that i mean again there's there's divergences with with a lot there's a lot of debate on um accuracy and then there's weird accusations out there about agendas of different translations and whatever else um but yeah man i I agree that we shouldn't get into ones that are like like Watchtower or whatever else. Well, they say you can only read this Bible, right? Yeah, but yeah. but I mean, even things like like the message, which a, a lot of people um, tend to come down on, uh, I think it has a value. You know, it has it has great value. Um, is it an accurate translation? No, it, it's it's uh, they're going through and they're just kind of translating the idea. And and if you read the guy's you know story, you know um, Peterson when he he made it, he was making it for the blue collar workers in his community, and and so it's a different thing. Like it's not a study Bible. Like you're not going to go into it and you know try to ascertain maybe deep levels of spiritual truth out of it because it's not intended that. But for somebody who is coming in and getting hung up on things, like I've, I've recommended it, you know, uh, numerous times. I mean, there was uh, the the Living Bible, which w- was another similar thing to that. And again, it's taken and that was the predecessor to the New Living Translation. But that wasn't a translation. The Living Bible was just again, like I went through, just to try to make it easier, and uh, and that's how my dad came to Christ. Was reading that it's like not even an accurate translation, but yet as he's reading it, it's just like it came alive, and hence the name, of the Living Bible. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those things, but it's important to understand what you're reading. You mm-hmm. know, when mm-hmm. when you're reading it, that you're saying, okay, you know, this is this is a good balance. That's why. I tend to gravitate towards the, uh, the NLT or the CSB for many reasons, but because they, they have a good balance of accuracy with readability. And uh, there's a lot of people way smarter than me that, that'll chart out all these things on these graphs and say like, okay, accuracy, they're not necessarily the best for in-depth study, usually for in-depth study, that's when I bounce to the KJV or NASB or any number of other, you know... The, the pigeon generation. Translation? Yeah,
1: yeah, Hawaii pigeon. yeah. Yeah, that, that one's a <laughs> good one, too. But that's, so. that's a good example for how, you know, a word-for-word word would have been terrible for a people, right? They're on this isolated island out in the Pacific, right? Right. And just the way that they even speak English is that form of English, right? Right. Which is pretty much unheard of unless you've ever been to Hawaii or Right. Yeah. So, you know, we'll make jokes about it because it's very... Um, laced with a lot of Hawaiian slang, right? Yeah. But it's the way you would be able to communicate it to somebody who was, you know, an indigenous tribal people of this completely isolated island. Well, it's funny because I have a friend of mine that pastors a big church in Hawaii. And, and so I
0: was kind of just like goofing around with him about this translation. And he says, no, I preach from it half the time. Yeah. And I was like, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah. He said, Some people like, he's like, it sounds funny. He's like, but that for many people is the best, most effective way to communicate. And I was like, wow, okay, like...
2: From the message, you mean? No, 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 no. no. Oh, Hawaii, Hawaii pigeon. pigeon. Oh, the Hawaii it's it's pigeon. like this
0: this Hawaii Hawaiian creole okay. kind of like... Yeah. Can we read a line <laughs> from Amos out
1: of it? i was actually pulling it. I'm it over and Okay.
0: Talk I, about I, a yeah. rabbit trail, but yeah, yeah. And I think some we of got off on this,
2: <laughs> When I did mention, uh, folks, anybody that's listening, when I did mention to just get a Bible, I saw my good friend Johnny wince a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And I still stand by that. Grab a Bible. I'm not, you know, that use common sense. Not a Mormon. You,
0: you, 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 yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you grab
2: a Bible and then you do what Judas says—a Bible that you're going to read and apply, and that has the 62 books, 66, uh, or 66 <laughs> books that we're familiar with. And, and just about any Bible, do it. And then, if you want to be a lifelong learner, you continue. You go on to a book like The Message or some others because Eugene Peterson. Does make it blue collar, as Judas said, and I love reading that every now and yeah. then. I have my own leather bound copy of, and, yeah. and uh, uh, if I read something in Paul, read that because it's pretty interesting. And it is. It's just plain. It's not it, for research. It's not the, for the, getting the thing I, would, I
0: like about the message for myself is that it sometimes gets me out of a rut. Yeah. Because what happens is if you've read scripture so many times in a certain way, you begin to like naturally gravitate towards meanings and ideas. And then you read the message and you just be like, wow, like that's left field. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's not, mean, but, this but, is what he said. But, but, but what I like about it is it, it'll often challenge me to think about it differently. Yeah. Mm. And, and again, whether he's it's always accurate or not, I'm not to speak for the veracity of it because again, it's not a translation. He never claimed it to be. I mean, yeah. he, he was somebody who could read, write and speak. All the ancient languages, and he taught in co- them at college level. So I mean, he was not an idiot, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, he—I mean—that's he, really impressive,
1: though. Yeah, all I mean, Hebrew, Aramaic, and yeah. I mean, he, he yeah. even
0: said he's people ask him what's the best Bible. He's like the Hebrew one. He's like, like if you're gonna read it, like <laughs> learn yeah, but, the language. Yeah, but, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but is is
1: it—the Masoretic text, right? Or or is it like, you know? What he I mean? he like, read it. He yeah.
0: read. It. I mean, he was. You, you study his life. I mean, he was like you know uh, a scholar. But again, he wanted to put it. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead
3: Ben, give us a The Hawaiian Pigeon, this is Amos 7 <laughs> This is just the title God go and wipe out the Israel people The grasshoppers Then Amos tell One time the one in charge of me When show me this Was just like one dream God he stay up Uka pile A grasshopper same time so next week, our
2: whole discussion okay. is going to be in, in Hawaii. Le- ladies, ladies and gentlemen, that was Ben not only reading the wine pigeon, but using the accent. Yeah. Uh, you We're know, attempting to the dialect. or attempting to even, yeah. put That's how it's gra- even put on a grass you skirt for not us? So. Do the ben, ben, with you, the your face is so red now, Ben. I've never seen yeah. it like that. It's
0: because he put on the grass skirt to read it too. <laughs> 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 Lady,
3: stop looking at my legs.
0: <laughs> So on that note, back to uh, back to Amos here. Anything else stand out well, to anybody?
4: I mean, what you mentioned, Judah, is just so so true. Whatever Bible you can pick up, if you can apply it, it brings transformation. Then awesome. If you're just gonna read a Bible just to you know to be you know spoon fed with knowledge and not apply it to your life, then you won't be radically transformed. So when you go and listen to a sermon or watch someone preach. If you're not being transformed by the very word they're preaching from, then you won't know if that person's a false preacher or not. Right. So I think ultimately what you're trying to, what you're saying too is that as long as you're reading the Bible and it's transforming you right then and there and you're hmm. letting it to, you know, transform your heart, then that's the direction that God wants you to go.
1: Yeah. It's one of the mysteries you know is mean? like the, this is a supernatural mystery, right? It's like, you know, like God is in spirit, right? He's immaterial, right? He exists outside of time and space. So it's like when the word transforms your heart, right? It's happening on a right. supernatural Absolutely. level that, you know, conventional wisdom Absolutely. isn't going to be able to explain. And like, no one
4: can take that away from you. Yeah, yeah. So no like, one will ever be able to take that away from you.
1: Yeah, in my personal life, my transformation, right? Which I, I haven't even called it that until like right now, right? Basically, I led a very selfish life. I didn't feel a lot of love in my life. I didn't feel a lot of compassion. You know, I, I suffered from traumas and abuses, and all I saw around me was the the edification and glorification of selfishness. Well, you know, um, you know, guns, women, cars, clothes. You know, partying. You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The whole thing, right? The the idea that you know, you know, being mean to women was cool. Mm. You know. That, that it made you more appealing to to bully people made you the person that was the cool guy right mm-hmm. so and this is all throughout from I'm talking from kindergarten all the way up you know until mm-hmm. I eventually dropped out of high school right you know so so and the more the more um selfish I became, <laughs> I didn't realize it, but I was becoming more and more evil and less and less humane right right to the point where eventually I was just like this horribly evil rotten person, and there there was no good in me whatsoever mm. right, and then I had this encounter with Jesus right from an overdose. And I, I, it's like Lenny was just saying, you know, Jacob wrestles with God and he limps away. You don't win against God. God always wins. He's the sovereign Lord, right? Mm. King of Kings, Lord of Lords, right? So I have this encounter and the rest of my life, in the back of my mind, there's this little question always going off with why am I doing what I'm doing? Why doesn't it feel okay anymore? Like, Mm. like, and there's these little omens and signs that Jesus is, is there. And he's trying to give me messages, whether I'm glancing at billboards or seeing him, you know, in line at the grocery store on a magazine cover or someone comes along and says something to me. And they're just like, you know, Jesus loves you. And I'm just like, where did that come from? Mm." Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I get these little check markers, like, you know, these respawn points, like in a video game where all of a sudden God's like, do you remember? Mm." Mm -hmm. I know that you remember. Right. So he's he puts this little drive in me to kind of like ask questions about philosophy and worldviews and different types of religions. And I go and I explore everything from neuroscience To all the major and minor world religions, Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, the ones that appeal the most to me. Live and let live. You know, Mm -hmm. if if I'm not going to be a violent person anymore, then I'm going to go towards these, right? And then, well, what's the counterpoint to these, right? Polytheism, monotheism, you know, uh, Judaism, Islam, all the way back down to Christianity as my last and final resort. And then, you know, one day I walk into Thrive Church because I'm like, you know, we just moved. You know, you guys know the story. My father dies. He wants my kids to be baptized. So we finally get our stuff together and show up there. And all of a sudden it's like, why does this place feel like home? Mm. There's a dog running around. They got nitro coffee brewing in the back, right? <laughs> Everyone is is you know in a good mood, and there's all this positivity. And I go, and they're not really knowing what to think because, as a child, my only experience with God is was the Catholic Church in my hometown, right? Mm. So, which is very, very um, dogmatic, very organized. You know, sit, kneel, stand. You know, first communion, confession. You know, the the, the whole bit. If you if anyone knows Catholicism, right? Which is nothing like Thrive Church. Mm. Yeah. You know, Thrive is a biblical church, right? It, it starts off and everyone's smiling, everyone's having a good time, everyone gets together, they're clapping, they're singing, they're getting involved and in worshiping God, right? So already the, the energy is up high. You know, Judah comes out and basically reads you the gospel and how it pertains to our everyday life, right? Well, you know, maybe th- tells a funny joke in there somewhere, right? And all of a sudden it's like, wait church isn't like this dreadful thing Mm. where guilt and shame and confession and and I can't receive communion is like the thing. Mm. And I'm just like, I can have a good time at church. Mm. Meanwhile, my kids are like having a blast, right? My wife is like, oh, that's what church is like. Mm. And once you get the word in you, you're like, it hits you right to your heart. God takes it right to your heart every time. And it seems like every time that I was going there in the beginning, it was like Jesus was speaking right into my heart from the Bible. Mm. And all of a sudden that's when my heart started to make that transformation, right? Is wait a minute. It's like I knew the whole time that I was meant to be there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I was called to be, and I don't mean just the building thrive right. oh, yeah. or just mm. thrive church in general, but when God talks about the church, it's a family, is a-, it's a gathering. Yeah. Exactly, we're united as one body with Christ as the head, right? So yeah. we have Christian brothers and sisters that we haven't even met probably in this town where we have for this Bible study. Yeah, <laughs> devout believers, and it's mm-hmm. like it's just so important to have that kind of fellowship. So I just in my life. I mean, vol- I volunteer and Thrive Kids now, you know? Like, think about that. Yeah. Like, let that sink in, boys. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> You know? I help my wife and kids with, like, the youth to, ha- to have youth ministry, right? Yeah. This is going from a guy that, old me, the yeah. old ways are dead and gone. So if God can work with me, he can work with you. He can work mm-hmm. with anybody, mm-hmm. you know? It's, mm. it's just so transformative. Just yeah.
3: one, one thing, a question. You said the jokes were funny? Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, the thing of it
0: is, is that God's word doesn't return void. It accomplishes what God sets it out to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the thing out there is that when we get into God's word, I mean, that, that, that's my, my number one goal in ministry is not to build a big church and a big, you know, group of people. I mean, yeah, all that's great. But my number one goal is to get people to read their Bible. like, And if, if they can start doing that, that's where transformation starts to happen. That's where people's lives become transformed is through the regular diet of reading God's Word and applying it and growing in that way because God's Word is full of living power, sharper than the sharpest knife. And w- what does a knife do? I mean, we often think of... You know, that illustration as like a sword in battle. And although there is that, I think that most Christians kind of perceive it that way, something that you hack with. But I like to think of that verse as more of a scalpel instead of a sword. And what is a scalpel used for? A scalpel is used to uh, perform surgery to go inside your body and to remove things that no longer need to be there. Restoration. And, yeah, and it's like, and I think that's what God does with the Word, is we're reading it, and it's like he's surgically removing a little bit more of me and replacing it a little bit more with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And a little bit more of me and a little bit more with Jesus. And he's He's doing that to restore us, to bring us to new life in and, and Christ. And that that's that's what we need to do is if we're followers of jesus for crying out loud we should be following him you know
4: and to preserve what god is doing the holy spirit will convict us Mm -hmm. so when you Mm -hmm. were like i have little like i feel like there's like a voice sometimes i say why am i not okay with this anymore Mm -hmm. that's the holy spirit dwelling in us dwelling in us and like even when you didn't realize it like i remember when i when i really genuinely gave my life to christ and started walking in the direction that he's always wanted me to walk, it was like a, a light bulb that he's never left me. Even in the moments where I was sinning, and I, I was like, wait, that was the voice of God, but I just, kept, I just ignored it.
1: Ignored it, exactly. And that's still small do. voice, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He
4: doesn't yell. <laughs> yeah. It's very quiet. Yeah. When mm-hmm. everything else is not distracting you, that's when, you're, that's when you'll listen. And,
1: and I, I read this uh, recently, and it's like, you know, either um, you know, your sins will keep you away from the word of God, the Bible, or the Bible will keep you away from sinning yeah. against God. Yeah. It, just like it says, I, I believe it's in one of the Psalms, he, you know, David is saying, you know, um, I store your word within my heart so that I won't sin against you. Yeah. And it, it, it harkens back to that. And, and to the point where you know, it says in John, I talk about this all the time, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. So the Bible, when, we, when it has that supernatural, transformative power to our hearts, and to our minds, and to our lives, the Logos Rama, where the word becomes alive and alters us, that spirit of God dwelling within us, that's Jesus. That's our salvation, mm. right? Yeah. It's that partnership that you talk about, You, it's, mm. it's not God alone, and it's, it, it's not us alone, right? right? It's God's relationship to us, mm. you know? It's, yeah. He's such a relational being, you know? Mm. Yeah.
2: One of the things that has happened to me over the course of my life, and it still does occasionally, is being talked about by the prophets that we've read so far, and I'm sure that it will continue because they have the uh, similar themes, prototypes, and that's this material prosperity. And how am related to myself is, is it creates a complacency sometimes in, in me and, and, I, and, again, I'm sure other people too, but I don't want to speak for anybody else. You know, material prosperity back then and certainly right now in my life doesn't mean that god is pleased with his people he didn't mean he was pleased with them back then because Mm. he wasn't that's good and i and i think of that myself i think oh yeah everything must be going good i've got everything i want i'm you know Uh, i gave you guys that little sheet a couple weeks ago God doesn't care what kind of car you have. He cares who you gave a ride when to, they needed it. Exactly. Okay, exactly. that type of thing. God doesn't care about that.
0: So we all so, want to ride in I mean, your new car, Dave. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Judah, I'll give you the keys. You can take a ride in it yourself. That's how I am about it. But yeah. it, 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 you get complacent, yeah. and I look around, and I say, okay, no. I got to kick myself in the butt off this cloud of complacency because it, it is keeping me away from God. It doesn't mean, you know, i got to stop thinking like the Israelites did here because they were so prosperous at this point in time under Jeroboam too. And, and, and I'm thinking, no, no, prosperity doesn't mean that everything is going well, that you're okay well, yeah, with God.
4: Right, That's the key right, point. That's right, what happened to me. Right, right. Well, Amos 8, uh, verse 2. What well, chapter see? 8? Chapter 8, verse yeah. 2. Chapter 8. Well, I'll read uh, verse 1-2. The sovereign Lord... Uh, showed up, showed me another vision, and I saw a basket filled with ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. I replied, a basket full of ripe fruit. Then the Lord said, like this fruit, Israel is ripe for punishment, and I will not delay their punishment again. Like, isn't, like, ripe good? Mm. Like, isn't that a good thing?
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, I thought a, that too, yeah, when I read yeah, that. Yeah,
4: imag- and I'm like, I'm like, literally thinking, like, wait a second. What do you mean, like, ripe is good though, right? But they're what? ripe for punishment? Like, that's how
2: bad it is? Well, mm-hmm. not only that, but I think of one fruit in particular, bananas. Right. You leave them too long, they get ripe and they get rotten. And that's the word I thought of there. I thought of, because at first I, I, you know, I was thinking the same way as you and I said, ripe. I go, well, that's good. But no, you get too ripe and it gets rotten. The next step is rotten. There's a, a small line between Ripe and rotten, Especially right? With bananas.
0: You're waiting like for a week and a half for those green things to turn, turn yellow, yeah, yeah. and then
2: you turn around and they're brown. Like, right, yeah. Wait yeah. That's, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Now everyone here has had like, fruit on God. their counter at home or wherever it is, and, and, and all of a sudden, Time or at work, and, and, <laughs> and it turns rotten. It's ripe. It's ready to go. And if you don't jump well, on it, it's rotten. And that's yeah. well, rotten.
4: what happened here. Yeah. My My, my, my yeah. wife loves making uh, banana bread,
1: mm. and it
4: tastes so good. So. Often, growing up, I always threw the bananas out in the garbage. Mm. One time, she saw me do that, and she's like, What are you doing? <laughs> I right, bananas, that, that's a great right? point, because right? my, my mom
2: and, and, and
4: my wife, they make banana
2: bread, and I love it, but you need to have the bananas just about not <laughs> in there. Well, yeah. watch
4: this. I preserved my sin. Mm. I love my sin so much that I put it in the freezer, mm. and I made sure that I kept it. Mm. Yeah. How many of us are keeping yeah. our sin right? Keeping our sin and then cooking it some more.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Making banana make bread. Making banana bread. <laughs> yeah. Some are the
0: analogy,
4: well, I don't it's delicious, <laughs> <If you Succulative>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Wow. If, this analogy will make my wife laugh. It was just for her. Right. If you go, if you go down in me. there, you, you
2: <laughs> read it, you're in eight. Uh, stay, in, stay in eight. In and, and my book, chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse four, and down a couple verses, my, my book reads, listen to this. You who rob the poor and trample down the needy. You can't wait. and We read this last week. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festival's to the end so you can go back to cheating the helpless. You measure grain out with dishonest measures. You cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with the chaff swept from the floor. Then you mm. enslave poor people for one piece of silver in a pair of sandals. What, or a, a, or a pair of sandals. Or a pair of or a pair of sandals. I'm sorry. You don't get so, both. So if you if you go eight, if you read eight four to six there, what is Amos doing? Well, what is God doing through Amos? He's condemning the commercial practice of mm. uh, malpractice, I should say, the commercial malpractice of all these shopkeepers mm-hmm. who fraud the poor. I mean, of course, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks. We've been talking about Amos here. Um, his main theme, one of his main themes, I would say, is social injustice. Right. And he's one of the first people to talk about it like that. He focused on uh, intersectional uh, relationships with the people versus, let's say, we read Joel and, and Hosea. They're talking about nations and Israel getting attacked by their nations. Here going back to the fruit analogy, they're rotting from the inside. Mm-hmm. They're riding, they're you know, they're mm-hmm. so ripe, they're rotting each other. They're, they're cheating each other. They're cheating the poor. They're mm-hmm. enslaving the poor. They're, 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 they're cheating the helpless. Mm-hmm. It's sad.
3: I, w- I wanted to go back to this basket of ripe fruit that's, was it, ripe for punishment? Mm-hmm. It just got me thinking, like, in, I'm, I've been in this situation, I'm sure some of you have as well, or maybe you were the person who was doing this, but there's, like, you ever been in a situation where somebody's being so annoying, and you're just waiting for somebody to walk up to them and smack them.
1: Usually, I'm the smacker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's like this got this got me thinking. It's like like in, you're in that situation
3: and nobody's doing anything about it, and somebody's being just so annoying and so over the top, and nobody's moving, nobody's saying anything about it. And I've been in that situation. Come here. Mm. Oh, oh, I was yeah. hit you. oh yeah. smack. <laughs> um,
0: one one last attempt on this banana analogy. Thank you
4: for being
0: patient with me, by the way. Is is that? That we, when you see uh, a banana and it's got a black banana peel, right? What does that say to you? It's bad. It says that it's probably rotten and bad. But we don't eat the peel, right? The peel is only an indicator of what's inside. Mm. And and kind of like what we're talking about here with this poor and all this stuff. A lot of people look at our country, and say, "Oh, our country is bad. Our country's going the wrong direction." On and on, whatever. But, but the country being bad is only an indicator of where the hearts of the people are. And, and here you see that with Israel. Similarly, I mean, some of these prophecies are for Israel, but it, it comes back down to the individual person. It's because you are cheating your neighbor. It's because you are cheating the person coming to you to buy you know fish at your stall or whatever else it, it is. Right. And, and, and it brings that personal accountability that, hey, you know, yeah, the, the peel is indicating that this fruit is bad. Um, but in our own lives, how are we living? And and what are we doing to change the world that we live in? And that's something that I felt, you know, for for years as well. It's like, how do you change the world? Everybody says, oh, you know, go and change the world, go and change the world. We're mm-hmm. world changers. That when I was a teenager, that was like the big thing. Like, oh, we're all world changers. It's like, well, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean we go into politics? Does that mean that we, we, we write books, we do things? I mean, maybe, maybe. But really, it starts with influencing individuals the individual people the people in our neighborhood the people that we're related to loving them influencing them and if we can spread that then when the heart changes then the body changes after you know the the, the, the body follows suit and so many of you are looking at the country saying all the things about the country or about whatever and it's like well really what we got to do is we got to start with the heart of it we got to start with with men and women, boys and girls, their relationships with God and how they approach God. And are we falling victim to this? Are we you know, abusing the poor? Are we offering justice to those who, who don't get it? And I believe that's very near and dear to, mm-hmm. to God's heart mm-hmm. that we stand up for, for right and wrong. We stand up for, for fair treatment of those who are um, not privileged, that are helpless, um, and I think, that that's, uh, I think that that's probably a whole other discussion, though, in many ways. So, well, I mean,
4: so some days, right, we come to church, right, like Johnny was explaining. We have worship. There's a good community. There's coffee. Everybody's excited. The worship, the, the God's Word is being preached. And then we can apply it right away. This past weekend, I was actually really proud of my sister-in-law. She invited a friend from, uh, from college, one of her suite mates, and she came and she's a devout Catholic. And, you know, she really tries to apply God's word to her life. Well, she came this past weekend and she she told my my sister-in-law that that was, that was a really cool way to worship God. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I was talking to my sister-in-law yesterday and I asked more. I, w- I wanted to know, like, what was her experience like? And you know what she said? She said, you know what? That was an awesome worship, but it, it, it applied to my life too closely. She literally said that it was almost like like word for word and she was like astonished that we used the bible that we were reading scripture and she, and it just it it was so accurately aligned with the preaching was so accurately aligned with her life her, her current situation and it was just really really moving
1: it's like that scalpel judah was talking about oh, sharper man. than any two-edged sword right. well, if, it cuts to the core of us right to our know, heart and you
4: know what it took yeah inviting right. inviting somebody Right, And not that she doesn't... She's a Catholic. Like she, she loves going to church. She loves going to her mass and listening to God's word. I think like, if you go to a Catholic church, it could, you could be flourishing as a Christian. If you're applying it to your life yeah. and you're letting it transform your heart. But then how many of us even go to church at Thrive and are listening, being spoon-fed God's word, but are not applying it?
1: Or not reading their own Bible. Or not reading it, their own Bible. Which is your relationship it, to it, Christ, essentially. You were
2: saying it, and you are saying it, too. James. We read James. Faith without works yeah. is dead. Yeah. Right. faith without works is dead. We have to do that. We have to invite. We have to share. We have to yeah. help. We can't cheat or rob
1: the poor or the helpless. But right. we can't We can't make the mistake of thinking that we can bribe God or buy our way into heaven not, with our not good at deeds. All. Well, I, yeah. I always
2: say that to people. I always yeah. say, Johnny, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. We have salvation, not by anything we, we do. do. By the right. grace of God, God we right. have salvation. Right. That, that needs to be understood. But, but again, as James said, faith without, without works, works is, is dead. dead. We yeah. need to yeah. do that. That's after we understand that no matter what we do, we're not, as you said, bribing God. Yeah, and it makes me think. I used to think that. Yeah. You say, okay, I need to, you know, and tell people, uh, oh, you do so much good. I go, no, I'm just making up for all the bad I did in the first part of my life. (laughs) But then I thought about it as I started reading this. I go, that ain't working. It's like checklist (laughs) Christians, (laughs) like
1: Ben said, but it makes me think of, you know, I I heard this before too. That it's like you you. you go to church and you know, they're singing the worship songs or the hymnals or whatever. And it's like, are you singing along? Are you clapping? Are you just sitting there with your arms folded, Mm. you know? And it's like, whenever I talk to somebody about that, they say, Oh, you know, it's like, you know, God knows my heart, you know? Mm. So I just, I don't need to get all into it, but it's like, imagine being in a relationship where, you know, you're married, but you never told your wife or your spouse, I love you. You never said it with your mouth. You never opened up your mouth, right? right? And then imagine this and imagine if you never showed that you loved your spouse, Mm. Would you think that relationship Mm. would last? Right. No. So so we sit there in church and you know, maybe that's not your thing It's to sing. Right. You know, maybe it's like dying cats or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or or maybe you, you don't like to clap. Or maybe you maybe you're you know, you're you're have a medical, you know, existing condition where you can't perhaps. But in your heart God knows if you're singing, right? Right. So it's like, raise your hands, do something. Right. You know, raise your eyebrows, do do something yeah. to show that, that you're there to actually worship God. Even that word worship you know, means to bow down and prostrate. Mm. It's like you know, if if you're not going to serve God, then who are you going to serve? Choose this day, right. you know, as it says in Joshua, right? You know, yeah.
0: And and you know, I think with a lot of this stuff, there's the uh, the dichotomies that people get hung up on. It's like uh, faith without works is dead, and, and and you see so many people that will gravitate towards one or the other right they'll gravitate towards the works or they'll gravitate towards the faith and it's like well you know we we just need the faith or oh no we got to go and do do justice in the world and whatever the the dichotomy is what do you want on your ice cream do you want whipped cream or sprinkles yes like why don't we just say yes like i want them both you know it's like like faith without works it's like you want faith or you want works yes Yes. like we have to do we have to do both you know Do, do we do we serve a God who is angry or a God who shows love? Yes, mm. we serve God. And he has both emotions, just like we have both emotions, you know. Yeah. And and, yeah. and it's like being able to, to see God in his fullness and worship God and not, not stripping it down to a two-dimensional uh, thing that we feel like is... Uh, Okay, well, it's it's either one way or the other. But anyhow, that being said, I think there's still a lot more to discuss here. But let's uh, let's pull the plug for this week, and we'll pick up next week, uh, continuing on in uh, Famous Amos, uh, chapters one through nine. We'll read it a few more times, and we'll gather together and continue this. And I'll have some banana bread. And yeah, bring some
4: banana bread next week. So. <laughs>
0: Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.